It's my great joy to welcome you to City Reach LA this morning. My name is Josh Houston. I'm the lead pastor here. Before I begin, I want to specifically welcome my parents today. My dad and Ma are in the house, are in the back over here. I referenced my Ma quite a bit last week in my Mother's Day sermon. As you can see, she's not wearing a trash bag today. Um, and I know they'd love to meet you if, if you haven't met them already. And beyond familial ties, my parents also serve in leadership roles at our network campus for the Assemblies of God, for the SoCal Assemblies of God. So if you're not aware, we are an Assemblies of God church, um, and our SoCal network that serves the 440-something churches in the SoCal network, they're in Irvine. My parents both work there to serve the, the churches and the pastors in SoCal. Um, my dad serves as an assistant superintendent. My mom is the women's ministries director. So in a network sense, dad and mom, thank you guys for being with us, supporting our church. All right, I have been looking forward to preaching all week. I have a message on my heart and in my gut for you. And here's my premise today. The brokenness surrounding us can be transformed into wholeness if we can learn how to wait on God. The brokenness surrounding us can be transformed into wholeness if we can learn how to wait on God. Today I want to talk about waiting. And then I want to talk about a small group of people who waited on God and the implications of, of that moment on our lives and our context today. First, waiting. I've been thinking about the concept of waiting this week. Generally, as human beings, we don't like to wait. Generally, as human beings, we're impatient. Um, however, our impatience is in direct relation to the thing for which we find ourselves waiting. You know what I mean by that? So to speak specifically for my, myself, I go to a coffee shop and I, and I order an Ethiopian pour over, right? I'm like, Mr. Barista, take your time. I don't want you to hurry this process because I know the quality of my cup is going to be dependent on how much time and, and, and intention you spend on giving yourself to this thing. So don't hurry. Or this scenario, during our, our dating years, Amanda and I, we, uh, I think we walked out of a, a Ralph's grocery store. And um, I, we, we walked to my car, and I always back in into my, into my parking spots because I did valet parking when I was in college, so now it's a habit. So I back in, right? So we get in the car. Um, I start the car. We're about to, cut, well, to, to leave, and the, the spot right in front of us, two people pull in at the same time. They almost hit each other, right? And, they, and then they honk at each other. They start yelling at each other. And then they decide to wait each other out. So Amanda and I couldn't move, actually. We were stuck in our spot. And I think we were there for a good 15 to 20 minutes. These people like dug their heels in the sand. One guy actually even got out. He took a sandwich out and sat on his hood. <laughs> Apparently, these people thought this spot was worth waiting for. And for me and Amanda, it was like it was super entertaining. So we didn't mind waiting either. Or a while back, I went and saw you 2 in Anaheim. I know they just played recently here as well. But um, I saw them in Anaheim. We got there in the morning to stand in line all day because we were going to be in the pit. And like we sprinted to the front. And I was close enough at that concert that Bono could have took off his glasses and just gave it to me if he wanted. Like, we were right there. And that was the best concert I've ever been to. And it was absolutely worth waiting for. But then there are simply things that gnaw at our patience, right? You, you know, like when you miss that left-hand green light by two seconds? Especially when it's because the person, like, a few, a few cars ahead didn't go fast enough. Or when the Wi-Fi goes down in the room. Or if you're a parent, I could just stop right there, right? <laughs> you don't talk about it if you have kids, right? Like one of the questions I like to ask myself and other people is, is, one of the, what, is what is something God is working on in you during this season? If you're a parent, 
Patience is something God is working on in you in this season. After a long day of work, I come home. I play with my kids. You know, we do dinner. We do bath time for Aria, brush your teeth, jammies, potty, read, sing together. And now I love you so much, I don't want to see you anymore. Right? Can I get an amen, parents? Am I all? Okay, thank you. Aria, you mean so much to me that what I want most in life right now is to not talk to you. What I want second most in life is a rodent tranquilizer. That girl woke up at 4.57 this morning, ready to go. I was so mad. You know, at night, it's like, put her in her bed. I leave, and I'm like, I think we're good. Please, Aria, go to sleep. Please go to sleep. It's quiet. I think we're good. And then I hear, Daddy, what? I can't smell my belly button. It's like, right? I'm like waiting. I want to confess to you today that I am impatient. I am impatient. Now, I have enough social intelligence and I have enough emotional control to not show my impatience all the time. But I'm impatient. Generally speaking, I do not like to wait. And especially if someone else is causing me to wait. And especially even more so if someone's ignorance is causing me to wait. Oh, I just get infuriated internally. I get so irritable. And I, I hope that I'm not the only person like this in the room. Please make me feel better about myself. Am I alone? Okay, thank you. The rest of you guys are lying, right? <laughs> think about what triggers your impatience. Is it the lady with all the coupons in front of you at the grocery store or, or the fender bender on the opposite side of the freeway that causes your commute to be like 45 minutes longer or just going to the DMV, right? Like anybody seen Zootopia, right? The sloths, it's so good. Waiting, waiting is hard work. But one of these life themes that I, just, I continue to circle around and do laps around is that the good stuff in life takes time. The good stuff in life takes time, whether it's food or coffee or health or relationships or faith. We're, we're products of our culture, and our culture does not like to wait for things, but the good stuff in life takes time. The good stuff in life most often requires delayed gratification. A disciplined waiting. And I... I don't know if you know this, but today is Pentecost Sunday. And all over the world today, the church is gathering to remember and to celebrate the day of Pentecost. Now, in case you need to brush up on your ancient Jewish festivals, Pentecost was held 50 days after Passover. It was this huge feast where, where people from all over would gather in Jerusalem to celebrate, celebrate the, the first fruits of of the wheat harvest, and we're like, yay, great, right? Today, the church continues to celebrate Pentecost because the pizza industry is so heavily dependent on the wheat harvests. That's not true. Today, the church continues celebrating Pentecost, not just out of ritual or out of tradition, but because many argue that Pentecost was the church's birthday. It's a wild story, in fact, and I want to walk you through it today, and it's one that comes as a result of waiting. Pentecost and the dawning of the church came as, as a result of a small group of Jesus followers waiting on God. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Acts. Acts is in the New Testament. So the back third-ish of the book after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I love this. I love this picture. Let's just keep this up for a little bit. This is um, it's funny. Mike was like, I like this volcano thing you got going on here. And it's like, actually, it's Pentecost, right? It's like a, it's like a modern... It's so cool, so cool. We'll get to it. It'll make sense in a little bit if it doesn't make sense right now. Bible is on the tables throughout the room, spread out. Um, if you don't have one, if you don't, if you don't own a Bible, you can take one of those home too. And I'll have the text up on the screen in a little bit. So a little context to start. Jesus' ministry, everybody's familiar vaguely with Jesus, this guy Jesus, right? His ministry takes off. 
Uh, he's baptized by John the Baptist. He's led into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And then he, he selects 12 disciples. He's doing teachings. He's got miracles, power encounters with the demonic, wisdom debates with scholars. And eventually, however, his followership begins to decline. He's getting less double taps, right? He was discredited. Thank you. Some people got that. He was discredited as, as an irreverent lunatic. And then he's murdered as an enemy of the state dying naked on a cross. His followers thought it was over. He was buried. Jesus failed. Rome won once again. But that Holy Sunday, this is Easter, we celebrated. Jesus became the resurrected one. And over the next days, he sporadically shows up to his followers in his resurrected body to talk, to hang out, to eat with them. And this is what we're going to read about starting in Acts. This is in Acts 1, starting in verse 4. On one occasion, while he, Jesus, was eating with with them, the disciples or the apostles, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then jump down to verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So in case you're not up to date on ancient Near East cartography, Jesus is giving this imagery of expanding spheres of influence. He's saying, Jerusalem is where we are. Judea has larger boundaries. Samaria has larger boundaries. He's saying, hang out because my spirit's going to descend on you. My spirit's going to cause you to witness something supernatural. And then I want you to tell people about it. I want you to tell people what you've experienced, this encounter with the divine that you have. Start close to home and then move outward and move beyond your life, move beyond your home. But this is all going to be initiated by your ability to wait. Don't leave. Wait for the Holy Spirit. It's going to be worth it. And then we see it go down. This is starting in Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all suddenly in one place, or they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, where they heard this sound. A crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in our native language? And then there's this big list of all the the peoples represented. Jump down to verse 11. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? If you keep reading... You see Peter get up to address the crowd next, this bewildered crowd wondering what's going on. What does he do? He preaches. He preaches Jesus. He tells them what happened to them up in the room, and then he preaches Jesus crucified and Jesus resurrected. And the crowd asks, so what do we do? Like, what now? What are we supposed to do now? And he says, acknowledge your need for God and then be baptized. And you're going to receive the Holy Spirit too. And that day, about 3,000 people come to know Jesus, and they're baptized. And then we see one of the first pictures of the New Testament church, actually. This is, verse, this is starting in verse 42 right here. 
they devoted themselves. This is, this is, like the, this is one of the most beautiful pictures of the church that we, that we always go back to in the Acts. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What a crazy story. So to recap a little for you, Jesus says, hang out. Don't rush I'm going to send my spirit to live in you, to empower you, to immerse you with his presence. Wait for him. So they linger together in this upper room, waiting for God to show up. They have no clue what's about to happen to them. And then this scene happens. They hear this sound, like a violent blowing wind from heaven that flies into the room. And they see what looks like tongues of fire rest over each of them. And each person is filled with the Holy Spirit. They begin speaking in other languages. And they walk out of this room with new power. And because of that, thousands of people come to know Jesus. They're baptized. And they're filled with the Spirit of Jesus. If you've ever heard the term Pentecost, this is what's being referred to. This is where it starts. And as a result, books are written. Conferences are attended Churches are planted, denominations are formed in attempts to recreate the scene that we read about. Confession time. I'm a Pentecostal. And I know some of you, like, even just hearing that, the hairs on your neck start to stand up and you get all icky, right? I I know, I get it. Allow me to qualify a little bit. Pentecostalism, Pentecostalism is a broad term for a movement in the Christian church, and it simply means we believe in the current work of the Holy Spirit. That we believe that the Holy Spirit is still living and still active in the church, and he still shows up, as he did in Scripture, in supernatural ways. And like other groups, political, religious, sports, interest-based, Pentecostalism is a tent that holds a lot of people. And wherever you find a tent, you're going to find some crazies, right? People who simply want a, a charismatic experience that's outrageous, that's, that's not grounded in, rea- in reality, and candidly scares the crap out of a lot of sane people, right? Anybody with me? You know what I'm talking about. However, there's room in the Pentecostal tent for the non-hype type. People like me, like a number of people in our church who simply want an authentic, counter with a, an authentic encounter of the divine. Have I seen miracles Because of prayer. Absolutely. Have I been used to speak prophetically in people's lives? Yes. Do I speak in tongues and pray in tongues on a regular basis? I do. But hear this, and you guys know me, this is not about hype. This is not about crazy. It's not about chasing some outlandish experience. It's about pursuing Jesus. It's about encountering God. And God is not unnatural. He's not illogical. He's not irrational, but he is beyond the natural. He's beyond the logical. He's beyond the rational. I admit, the gifts of the Spirit are weird. Tongues, prophecy, miracles, divine wisdom and knowledge, this is bizarre stuff. Like, for real, it's bizarre. But I've seen too much. And once you've seen, you can't unsee. Once you've tasted, you can't untaste. I've experienced too much that I cannot explain with science or reason or linear analysis. And some things just, they exist beyond the dimension of reason. 
But Scripture tells us what's going on. Sometimes when the Spirit shows up, when the divine shows up, unexplainable things happen. But what I want to center it on today is it's not about the experience. It's not about an experience. This is where people get in trouble. They chase these wild experiences missing the point. People can spend so much time debating this scene that we read today that they miss the point of it. What's the point? Let's go back to, to Jesus in Acts 1.8. This is what he says in 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. As Jesus' followers waited on God, he descended on them. He filled them with power, with his presence. And as a result, people of other nations, people of other languages understood what they were saying. Diverse and different people groups were amazed. They were perplexed at what they were encountering in this moment. They asked, what does this mean? They were astounded. They wanted explanation. The day of Pentecost is all about witness. It's all about witness. What happened that day? Reconciliation happened that day. Because the Spirit showed up so wild to the apostles in Acts 2. They had the ability, they had the credibility to talk to those of different languages and nationalities and backgrounds and worldviews. People were brought together in unity that were not united. Jesus was preached. They became church's family that day. We talk about church's family here a lot. They became church's family that day. Ours is a God that brings people together, not divides them. See, this is what Pentecostalism is all about. This is what Pentecost is all about. The point of Pentecost is humanity's wholeness. This is one of the things I really want you to walk away with today. The, Pentecostal, the, pen, the point of Pentecost is humanity's wholeness. This is why we remember it. This is why we celebrate it. We live in a tremendously ruptured world. Political, religious war. More school shootings, media, social media character assassination. Humanity is in desperate need of people who know how to unite rather than divide. And while many believe the church and the Bible to be irrelevant, to be out of touch with reality, this story in Acts 2 could not be more relevant. Gathered together in Jerusalem at the day of Pentecost was a melting pot of diversity. Cultures, traditions, religions, values, philosophies. Is this not L.A.? It's actually what I love most about L.A. We're not homogenous. We have diversity coming out the wazoo, and it's celebrated. It's not tolerated. I love it. It reflects God. It, it reflects the beauty of his creation. But where you find diversity in humanity, you will also find division. You see, sin, it's, it's caused us to, to fracture. And it causes us to continue to fracture internally, personally, by ourselves, but also to splinter at a communal, at a corporate level. And God's work in humanity is a redeeming work that makes things whole. God's work is a work that makes whole the things that are splintered and fractured, fractured and divided. I think Pentecost was God's remedy for humanity's separation of itself. A group of people wait on God. The Holy Spirit immerses them in his presence, and they're sent, to, they're sent out to reconcile the broken. 
This is Pentecost. And so I want to come back to my premise. The brokenness surrounding us can be transformed into wholeness if we can learn how to wait on God. Being a Pentecostal is not about an experience. It's not even merely about our own, my own life change. Being a Pentecostal is about becoming a reconciler. Because the point of Pentecost is humanity's wholeness. Our world needs Pentecostals. Not weird people, not hypey people. Our world, our city needs relevant people who have encountered God to the extent that they get outside of their walls and mend broken relationships. They get outside of their comfort zone and restore divided families. They move beyond themselves to being about the good of the other. Our city needs reconcilers. But remember what initiated Pentecost. Remember what initiated Pentecost. Waiting. It took a group of people, and it was a small group of people at that, non-hurried, non-anxious, who slowed down enough to make themselves present to God. And we're meeting here today as a result of a small group of people who had the discipline to slow down and wait on God. Like, what do I hope you glean from today? My prayer for you coming into this morning has been for you to muster the courage to slow down and to create space in your weekly schedule to linger in God's presence. I want to challenge you this week to take an hour and wait on God. Say, what? Yeah, an hour. I want, you, I, I want to challenge you. Take an hour this week and wait on God in silence. In your room or at a park or at the beach, slow down. Stop distracting yourself. Make yourself present to God and wait on him. And I would even encourage you not to bring a Bible and not to bring worship music and not to bring a book or a podcast, but to just sit alone with the divine until he shows up. Now, you might think, what if he doesn't show up? This is a busy season, right? That's what we like to say, right, when you're busy. This is a busy season. I don't really have an hour to spare. What if the divine, what if this God, what if this Jesus guy doesn't show up? What if I waste an hour? Can I ask the opposite? What if he shows up? What if all it took was slowing down for an hour and that prayer you've been praying your entire life, God, if you're real, show me. If you actually love me like you say you do, I want to experience it. What if all it took was an hour of you waiting on God for him to show up and make himself present to you in a way that literally changes your life? Why not take that risk? Oh, but Josh, you don't know my brain. I'm self-diagnosed ADD. Or maybe you actually do take medication because your brain's all over the place. How could I, in fact, spend an hour with God? My thoughts are so noisy. Here's how you do it. Stop doing for an hour. Stop accomplishing for an hour. Just be. Knowing you're in the presence of God. And very practically, you allow yourself to think wherever your mind goes. Knowing you're with Jesus. One of my favorite definitions of prayer is simply thinking deeply about something in the presence of God. Just show up, knowing you're with God, and when your brain starts to think about Westworld, bring Jesus into it. When you think about what you're going to have for dinner that night, bring Jesus into it. When you think about the job interview, bring Jesus into it. When you think about the pain of loss that you've experienced, 
Bring Jesus into it. This is prayer. This is waiting on God. What if you sat with God this week and he showed up in such a surprising yet remarkable way to you that it actually transforms you and so much so that it impacts the people around you? What if this reality is what God has been waiting for if we will simply allow ourselves to show up and wait for him? Church, I deeply believe this. The brokenness surrounding us can be transformed into wholeness if we can learn how to wait on God. I want to invite the worship team to come back up. We're going to go into a time of response to God. So we don't initiate anything. God's already been doing stuff all week long. Our job is just responding to what he's been doing. We're going to do a little bit of music just to give some space to what God may be doing in your heart. I believe the point of Pentecost is humanity's wholeness. And the catalyst for this kind of wholeness is people who are comfortable waiting on God. We have to learn how to slow down. Dallas Willard said, ruthlessly eliminate hurry. This was at like the end of his career. They asked him, like, what, what, like, what's, like what's it? A little before he died. What is it? Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. We got to learn to slow down. Because heaven shows up. This is my experience, at least. Heaven shows up when hurry gets escorted out of the room. Like, I'm going to walk you out, hurry. Now heaven has a space to land. It's one of the paradoxes, I think, about following Jesus. More happens when you figure out how to stop. More redemption. More healing. More wholeness comes as a result of us letting go whatever it is, the thing that we're defining as control, and letting God actually do what he wants to do in our lives. The question is, would you like to be entrusted with power? Would you like to be entrusted with influence to make the world more whole? Because if so, at some point you're going to have to commit to the discipline of waiting. Sitting with God in the stillness, in the quiet, letting him meet you, letting him love you, letting him transform you for the sake of the world. We're surrounded by so much division, so much animosity, so much brokenness, but it's all, fill, it's all filled with this, like, this latent capacity for wholeness. It's on the verge of redemption if followers of Jesus can just learn how to wait on God like they did at the day of Pentecost. Just imagine in a pressurized city like LA if waiting was standard for us. A group of people who are comfortable with, maybe even regularly desire waiting on God. Gosh, the kind of renewal that we would see in LA. If we became a faith community content to linger with Jesus in order to be filled with his power, I believe it would astonish us and it would transform our city. So that's what we're going to do right now. For a few moments, we're just going to slow down. And if you're not cool with all of this, at least just give yourself a breather for a second, right? Whatever's coming next, just slow down and breathe for a little bit. But I want to challenge you to slow down your hurried soul and make yourself present to the spirit of Jesus in the room right now. With no expectation of what is supposed to happen, 
no idea that's defined for what success looks like other than uniting together in the name of Jesus to wait on God for the redemption of our city. I have a couple of our leaders come up for prayer. <clears throat> so it's just many different ways to respond right now. Not even that you have to, but if you want to. Maybe you just need to sit and breathe because the rest of your day is going to be so fast-paced. Maybe you've got something on your heart that you really need to tell God. Maybe you need another fellow leader and Christian to stand with you and ask God. Maybe you don't even have... Maybe you don't even have whatever is left in you to ask God on your, on your own. You need someone else to ask God for you. Maybe you need this song sung over you. Maybe you need to stand and lift your arms to God and sing this song to him. Just want to create space for us as a community to wait. Say, God, we want you. We want to encounter you, for real. Make yourself present to us today. So Jesus, that's what we do. We open our hearts to you. We open our minds to you. We slow this moment down. And we ask that we would encounter you in a very real way. Not for some wild experience, God, but so that you could transform our lives because there's so much brokenness around us that needs you. So we pray that you come and meet us. We give you our hearts and faith. We love you, Jesus.